Amen, right? I mean, that is the gospel saying right before us. A faithful king came and did for us as sinners stuck in a sin problem, and he came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Sing it, right? Hey, uh, grab your update there and go to the sermon notes page. Um, I'm going to give you a couple blanks to fill in before we get going. Very end of your sermon notes page, there's very bottom, there's uh, two little lines there that say, this is what God's, I want to give you the uh, rest of that. So here we go, and I want to start out with this. It says, this is what, the first one, this is what God's gospel message is, okay? This is what God's gospel message is. That's the first blank to go ahead and fill in. This is what God's gospel message is. The second one, this is what God's family does. This is what God's family does. Now, here's what I'd like for you to do with me. I'd like for you to grab your Bible. Just hold your Bible up. Hold your Bible up. And I'd like for us to read those two statements three times. Okay? First statement. And then the second. So we'll, we'll do it together, and then you'll do it on your own for the next two. Ready? This is what God's gospel message is, and this is what God's family does. Again. God, I pray that we would just not say it because I made us say it. But Lord, we are about to open your words, your message, the words of God written and recorded for us so that we would know you, know what you're about, and know us, and know how we can be reconciled to you to live for you, free in Christ. And Lord, this is not just about a message, but it's about a message that's to be lived out. And I pray we would be the kind of people that are not just hearers, but are doers as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Grab your Bibles and go to Acts 14. Acts chapter 14. I want to let you know where we're going today. We're going to start out in Acts chapters 14 and 15. We're going to be here for about 20 minutes or so. And then we're going to go over to Galatians chapter 2. Then we're going to come back to Acts chapter 15 for a moment. Then we're going to go back to Galatians chapter 2. So where are we starting out? Where are we going to go next? And then where? Okay, and then where? Okay, normally I don't do this jumping around, but I'm kind of letting you know. And the reason is, is because all of this works together in a story of a period of time, a very important, important period of time to give us a story of God's gospel message being protected, being declared, being verified, and being lived out. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 14. Uh, we're walking through uh, this time period here. In Acts 14, is telling about this time period where Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. Which first? 
the first first. They're on the first one. They're in the region of Galatia. It's kind of this area over here where we see that southern uh, Turkey, if you will. He, he's in this area. They are in this area. We're getting this run-up on what's taking place. In the beginning of chapter 14, they're in Iconium. They're in this city, in the region there. Great stuff is happening. The, the, the message of Christ is being declared. People are coming to Christ, repenting and living for Him and being changed. Great stuff's happening, but also there are some people who do not like what's going on at all. And they're causing a fuss about it. We, they're Judaizers. And then in verse 6 in chapter 14, we find them, they flee to Lystra. It's only after like two, two uh, Sabbaths, they head out of town. They go to Lystra. There they heal this crippled man, and all the people are there, and they're like, the gods have come. And, you know, what do you do with that? Uh, but they deal with it. Then in verse 19, we find the Judaizers coming again, and they're coming to actually persuade the crowd to stone the apostle Paul. I get that. Now, that's like living like loving God, isn't it? Let's stone him because they think he's giving a false message. And so they do. And in that passage, they stone him thinking he's dead. And nowadays, we kind of can picture it with computer graphics. It's like, you know, he's dead, laying there, and all of a sudden, kind of up. Now, understand this. I don't think it was like Terminator where all of a sudden all like the or, or X-Men where all the wounds just disappeared. I don't know for sure, but it's very likely in the verses to follow when he starts going to Derby in the region and then to Antioch in Pisidia, that's very well, he could be having the wounds of being stoned supposedly to death on him, but he gets up, God's doing a great work, they're around. He ends up in verse 20 in Antioch of Pisidia, which is a little further away, but still in the region. And actually, let's pick up in verse 26 of Acts 14. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that had been fulfilled. In other words, I'm sorry, they come on down to this region here, and then they come on over to Antioch of Syria. This is where they started the first missionary journey. It was the church in Antioch of Syria that sent them out, and they come back. Uh, verse 27, and when they arrived and gathered the church together there in Antioch, they declared all that God had done with them. Now he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained there no little while with the disciples there in that region. I want to tell you, they come back here, this sending church, and it's like they are just rejoicing over what God has been doing through this sending out. Oh, Lord, I pray we are that kind of a church. We are that kind of a sending church, planting churches around the world, oh, and praising together over it. But that's what's taking place there in the region. Let's jump in chapter 15, verse 1. If you have an English standard version, which I'm using, the first word is what? But. You see, with proclamation comes accusation. Problems generally come out of the result of the gospel being declared. And it says, but some men came down. By the way, came down as an elevation came down, not uh, the geographic, but they came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. This is taking place in Antioch. So there they are in Antioch. There's some people who have come over to Antioch. And what are they seeking to teach these uh, believers in Christ in Antioch? Here it is. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You get what's being taught here? It's not what we just sang about. Okay? This is not what Christ taught. What they're teaching is, is this whole thing. We go, what's this circumcision deal? Isn't that, you know, especially ladies, isn't that this is like an uncomfortable topic? 
you know, it's like, where do we go with this? Could we just like bypass this and move on? No, I got to camp on this for just a couple minutes here for this reason. How did this whole circumcision get started? Well, go back all the way to Genesis 17. Don't go there, but let me just read what took place. God in his grace establishes a covenant with Abram. Okay, Abram who becomes Abraham. He establishes a new covenant, or I'm sorry, a covenant. And here's what he says to Abram. Abram, every male throughout your generation, plural, every male throughout your generation shall be circumcised. And this covenant in your flesh is an everlasting covenant. Now, an everlasting, that sounds like an everlasting gobstopper. I mean, how long did an everlasting gobstopper last for? Like forever. So you get this idea that God made this declaration back here. I'm making an everlasting covenant with you. And a key sign of this is the act of circumcision. Why did God pick circumcision? I don't know. You know what? He's God. Okay? And he just did. And so that's what he set up. And that's what it was. And he says, listen, this is to be an everlasting sign of a covenant. That sounds like a long time. He goes on to say to Abram, any male not circumcised shall be cut off from the people because they have broken the covenant. Listen, uh, uh, part of why I bring this up is, is there is this covenant established that then is reestablished and built on out by God with Moses back in this period of time that I look and I go, I understand kind of frankly why the Judaizers are saying what they're saying. See, the Judaizers at this, if you will, this point in history, they for now generations and generations, which the text Genesis 17 says, have been following out this idea that circumcision is a key part of faith in the Lord. And it has been. And so through this period of time, all this is coming, and now Christ comes on the scene, and the Judaizers at the time, in essence, they were saying, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. He is the Messiah. You see, now it's about becoming a Jew before you can become a Christian. It's really all the, the, what there's being said is, is you, in essence, have to have Jesus plus the Mosaic traditions. But that's not what Christ was saying. And in fact, let me just give you a couple verses you can look up later on in your own study. But may I remind you, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, this cup, when he's holding the cup, the, the, the wine at the time, he's referring to that. He calls it a new covenant of my blood poured out for you. A which kind of covenant? A new covenant. Uh, not an amendment. You see, the Judaizers were really looking at what was taking place is that what God was putting in place here now with Christ was an amendment added on to the old covenant or to the covenant at the time. That's not what's taking place. God has had, and we'll see here in a couple other verses, God now begins calling this the old covenant. And now with Christ on forward, this is a new covenant, not old revised, old new. And they're in this transition period. A couple other verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says he has made us ministers of a new covenant. Later in that chapter, he refers back to the old covenant. Galatians chapter 3, 17. A text we'll be coming to in weeks ahead. It says a covenant previously established. In Galatians chapter 4, it then talks about two covenants, an old and a new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, key verse. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, it says that the new covenant, which has made the first one obsolete. It's not an addition. It's not an amendment. 
It's made the first one obsolete. It will, it says, the text there says, it will disappear. Hebrews 9.18, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Why do I bring this up? Because as we read in this text, here are these, these people proclaiming themselves as followers of Christ, coming to the brothers in Christ and saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And I want for us to understand why they're thinking that. Because they're thinking, well, this is an everlasting gobstopper covenant. And then all the way through, now we just tag on Jesus. No, that is not God's plan. There's an old covenant and they are right in the process of a new covenant. And confusion is happening. And there's a part of me that says, bless these guys' hearts. I think there's a part of them that they're generally really trying to understand what God is doing. And I kind of want to come alongside and give them a hug. And yet at the same time, they are proclaiming heresy. They are truly proclaiming what the cross was not about. And it's got to be dealt with. They've got a problem. And let me clarify this. This isn't a ministry approach problem. This isn't the kind of thing of like, do we have chairs or do we have pews? This isn't the kind of thing to where it's like, should we have green carpet or red carpet? This isn't the type of thing we're talking about. Should we have adult Bible fellowships or small groups or should we have both? This isn't talking about which kind of evangelism program do we use. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about do we squeeze the toothpaste at the bottom and the middle or the top? Hey, just get your own tube of toothpaste, okay? Solves the problem. But we are talking about, if you will, the toothpaste. What is it? What is the gospel? And here, there's a conflict. There's a problem. The gospel itself is in a battle. It's a battle for the cross. So here's this problem, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. These people are proclaiming a not, they're proclaiming a different gospel, which there really isn't a different gospel. They've got a problem here. How do you deal with problems? Uh, Here's what I want to do. Let's take a pause for a moment here. Go to four verses. So in your notes, you can write down four verses that talk about how to handle problems as a family, okay? We're laying a foundation here for where we're going on. Uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 8. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Let me read it for you. 1 Peter 4, verse 8 says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. I love that. Don't just keep loving one another, but it's love one another earnestly, like get at it. And the rest of the verse says, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. Hey, there are times, <laughs> I use the squeezing the toothpaste, you know what? Just, is it really worth fussing about? There are just times where even where things aren't being done right at home or with the kids. I remember Karen and I used to talk about with the kids. It's not about the battles of sin. It's about which battles are we really on right now? Because if we're on all of them, we are going to totally exasperate our kids right now. Which ones are we working on now? And right now, love's covering over a multitude of them. And oh, by the way, because Matthew chapter 7, get the log out of your own eye in my own life. So there's this aspect in how we deal with problems. Sometimes love covers it. But I just want to say this. This situation that was taking place in Acts 15 and in Galatians chapter 2, you can't cover this one. You see, because this is a theological problem. This is at the heart and the core of the gospel itself. Uh, Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. (laughs) Incredibly intriguing passage. The second verse on how a family deals with problems, how the family of God deals with problems. Listen to this one. This This is crazy. Chapter 11, 
in 1 Corinthians verse 19, Paul's writing to a church in, in uh, Corinth, and he says, for there must be factions among you. The NIV says differences. It's not hard enough. The word here, it's really there must be divisions among you. Get, do you get that? Paul is writing this to a church. Listen, no pa- every pastor like has this verse crossed out, okay? Because what do you deal with this? It's like, yeah, we have a division in the church. Faction. Oh, this is awesome. I love, listen, you got to be crazy if you're like that. But that's what Paul says. There must be factions among you. Think about that. Why? Look at the text. Maybe God has a reason for it. Uh, I vote yes. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Here's the point. Listen, when we go, it's kind of like trials in life. Trials, as we talked about in our last series, show our faith. It makes our faith stand out for what it really is. Here's the deal. Factions in the church result in people standing up for God. And those people become known. Are you going to stand for the word and truth? Or are we going to be like, well, it's kind of like what I want the Bible to say. Hey, listen, we are going to see this verse worked out in Galatians 2 here today. We're going to end up seeing those who are about God's word standing up and those who are not about the gospel message being declared as well. And it's going to be clear as day as to what happens. Sometimes divisions in churches are, well, it says here, there must be factions among you. So I would say this, hey, when there come, not if, when there comes a time at this church that we have a struggle over some kind of issue, I have no idea what it might be. There's a part of it for us. I'm training you right now to be thinking, and me too, because I just don't naturally think this way. But it's like, praise the Lord, because we have an opportunity to make the word of God stand high. Okay? There must be factions among you. So God looks and he sees opportunities coming out of trials and coming out of uh, problems. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, the third key verse. So, so far we've had 1 Peter 4, 8. We've had 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, And our third verse about how to deal with problems is Matthew 5, 23 to 24, which says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother, get this, has something against you, Not that you remember that you have sinned against them, but you're sitting here right now in church and you're there, quote, at the altar in the terminology of of that day. And you're here right now and you think that we're in this and I'm right now like, you know what? I I think Mark has, there's an issue going on here with us and I think there's a problem. What does it say? If you remember your brother has something against you, Mark has something against me. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled your brother and then come and offer your gift. So it's like this. If we've got an issue right now, come on, bud. Come on. You know what? I'm sorry. Wait a second. We got to go. We got to. Yeah. Okay. That's literally the, that's literally the picture that's happening there. Thanks, buddy. We don't have a problem, do we? We're okay. All right. But that's the picture. I I, want to tell you, does this give you the idea that God is very concerned about the horizontal? Listen, so often we can come into even church and we come in to bring our praises and worship to the Lord together. And then we look at it in life and it's like, hey, because it's all about the vertical. It's all about the vertical. And God says, listen, the vertical is lived out in the horizontal. They go together. And there may even be someone here today who right now 
you're in a situation where there's been sin happening in your life this morning, and that sin, whether it's even not you sinning against your spouse or your friends or your kids, maybe it's the kind of thing right now here while we're talking, you just get up and head on out and you just go take care of it now because I want to tell you this. Right now, what this text is really saying, God is like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't play game with me. Don't play game. Don't go in there and act like everything's honky-dory and everything's great and dandy because, listen, I'm looking at this. I'm concerned about this, and this impacts this. Man, that's harsh words. That's hard stuff, isn't it? But I, and I'm serious about it. If someone's like that, listen, just go deal with it, and, and wonderful, wonderful. Don't worry. What, what are people going to think? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Listen, so when we look at problems, sometimes love covers it. Uh, also, we look and we go, God's really serious about them, 1 Corinthians. In Matthew 5, we look at it and we say, hey, listen, God wants problems resolved. Resolve them. Oh, who likes problems? Oh, don't. But God uses them. Last verse, Matthew 18. Hang a right. Matthew 18, verse 15 and following. So how do we do that? How do we deal with sin? It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Uh, here's the process. If there's a sin that's taking place, I see a sin in someone else. I think I see a sin in someone else of what's going on. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to send them an email and tell them. (laughs) Statement right up front. Emails and texts are good for general information. Mass information and for positive stuff. Emails bite in dealing with problems. You can't see the tone. You can't hear the tone. And I just want to tell you, if you're someone who right now or has a tendency to deal with problems in relationships through email, I just want to call you in love for Christ and in love for you to stop it right now. Because this is about going and approaching the person. And talking with them. Why? Because I love you and because I love God enough to deal with it this way. No emails, no text. Pick up the phone. Talk in person. And get after it. That's step number one. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. It's because I love you. And I know that this impacts this. And so I go. And then after that, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. In other words, I grab another person or two. By the way, not who are going to be on my side. People who have a level of maturity and who ideally are witnesses to what's taking place, who you can come along, sit down and say, let's talk it out. What happened? Maybe I'm wrong in the whole thing and understanding what's taking place and they can help clarify my issue, and then I repent. Okay, listen, by the way, this is how family does it, according to Scripture. And then if that person is in sin, and they don't want to repent, I love them enough, and I love the Lord enough that I'm going to do the next hard thing, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to get the leaders at the church and talk about it, and they're going to come and get involved, and then we get the heat of the church behind it. Well, boy, that sounds like getting in someone's life, doesn't it? Yeah. Why? Because God's really serious about problems. 
And so often today, it's like, no, we can't deal with problems. No, we have to deal with problems. We have to. God has called us to because the vertical requires us working on the horizontal. Four verses that are key to impacting it. So in light of that, let's go back to the story. Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15 are experiencing a conflict. It's a conflict with the followers of Christ, and it's a conflict also with what I will say, people who are calling themselves followers of Christ, and they're giving heresy of teaching. So what do Paul and Barnabas do? Uh, Matthew 18, look at verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Uh, You see, what's happened in the text is, in essence, telling what did Paul and Barnabas do? They went and talked to the ones who were teaching the false teaching. They went to them. They didn't send them an email. They didn't text them, because I'm sure they had iPhones back then. But they went and they actually talked. Now, we see in the situation what ended up happening. Well, it didn't turn out so well, because it said there was no small dissension, i.e., they had like a big dissension, and a debate with them. And it didn't turn out well. So what's the next step? Because God is about resolving problems. What's the next step? Well, let's take a look. Verse 2, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with him, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem, elevation-wise, go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question, sowing being sent on their way by the church. You see what's taking place here? Try and understand, help you understand. The gospel message is having a declaration problem. The people are confused. What is the gospel? Is it Jesus plus some other stuff, plus the old covenant kind of stuff? Or is it just Jesus alone? Is it just grace alone by, through faith alone in Christ alone? Or is it Jesus and some other stuff? So they come, they talk about it. There's no resolution that takes place. So what ends up happening here? We see that we end up selling a delegation down to Jerusalem to talk with the apostles to make sure and validate this to kind of, if you will, get a, a, a good housekeeping stamp of approval so that we know what the gospel is and we can stop the confusion. You see, people keep going to deal with problems, keep going to bring resolution to the situation. So Paul and Barnabas, they go. Let's pick up verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they pass through these areas, they head down to Jerusalem. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with him. I want to tell you, everywhere Paul and Barnabas and these guys are going, they're like, God is at work. God is at work. They are just jazzed up for Jesus. J.J., They're just jazzed up for Jesus. And as they're coming along this process and they get there and they're communicating what God's done. But look at verse 5, but with proclamation comes accusation. But some believers, interesting term, some believers, those who are calling themselves followers of Christ, some who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, this sounds familiar, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. These guys are like everywhere. It's like a parasite. And it is. It is. It's untruth being proclaimed everywhere. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. Now turn to Galatians chapter 2, because Galatians chapter 2 puts us right in this spot. Okay? 
They're in Jerusalem. They've had this fussing going on. They're down there, and uh, they're going to work this out and get clarification. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to move through some of these items here. There's so much more I'd love to bring in, but we don't have time. But chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. I don't have time to go into it, but let me just simply state it this way. What's taken place is the Apostle Paul, or Saul at the time, came to Christ. Miraculously, Christ like showed up in his life, literally. And he comes to Christ, and he is prepared these three years and plus preparing for ministry, and he's out declaring the gospel to the Gentiles. Over here we have the Apostles. Those who lived with Christ, uh, minus Judas, and those who lived with Christ and were called and sent out by Christ, they're ministering down in the region of uh, uh, Jerusalem and Israel. And this has not been the situation where Paul has been under their teaching for all this period of time. That's not what's happened. Bottom line, what's happened is, is Paul has gotten a revelation of what the gospel is all about over here. Over here, the apostles, they are functioning under all this uh, 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 God-delivered information that they have. They're now coming together at this meeting, and get this, the messages match. Now, you take any time, you take a person over here in, in Michigan and a person in Kentucky, they've never met each other, and they're teaching their own, uh, just play with me here, they're teaching their own specially revealed message from God, as they declare it. They come together in Indianapolis, they meet here, they sit down, they talk over what's taking place, and it's like, hokey beat, it's the same. Why it's a big deal about that. Folks, I just want to tell you, only God can make that happen. And for you and I, as we look at the word of God, there is a level of confidence and strength and validation that comes out of this, not just because Jesus gave it and it was written down, but because the way God has worked through all of redemptive history, his word is there. And when we look at it, it's not just what Paul said. It's not just what Peter said. It's not just what Jesus said. I mean, it's the whole combined history all coming together. And I just want to tell you, walk out today rejoicing. The good news of Jesus Christ is clear, validated, without question. Bam, this is God's word. Let's see that. Let me read on down. Taking... uh, The 14 years I went again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation. I I think what was taking place there is, I don't think Paul really wanted to go down to it initially, but God said, listen, go. I don't have time to go through that. And he set before them, he placed, he submitted himself, he submitted the information before them privately in the parenthetic there. That sounds like Matthew 18. You just get together privately. You don't go out and declare it to everybody on the street and get a big rival going on. But they got together with the apostles and he set it before them. The gospel that he proclaimed to the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Listen, Paul did not need their validation of the proclamation of what he was saying. But in this situation, I think God's looking at this and God's, Paul's up here and he's like, I just want to keep ministry because I know this is the truth. And God's like, no, go down there. Let's get this deal with, dealt with. Why? Because in it, we are going to know who is truth and who is not. And the issue is going to be settled. And so he's down there. He lays it before them. Verse three, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. What? 
as you read through this, you're like, what does that have to do with like anything? Well, in light of what we were just talking about, when they got to Jerusalem again, there were people who were saying, listen, you've got to be circumcised. Titus was 100% Gentile. Let's take two examples. Titus, 100% Gentile. Timothy, 50% Gentile, 50% Jew. With Timothy, Paul has Timothy circumcised. Why? Because it was an issue of access for proclaiming the gospel. You see, Timothy is a half Jew. He was able to be able to enter into the synagogue and so forth and be a part of what was taking place if he was circumcised. And so it's like, listen, we're about proclaiming the gospel. And if we can get there and we need to do that, then let's just get her done so that we can have at it. With Titus, it wasn't that. It wasn't an issue of the ministry of the gospel. It was all about the gospel message itself. You see, if Titus would have been circumcised here right now, the Judaizers would have said, see, exactly what I'm telling you. That's exactly what I'm telling you you need to do. And Paul's like, not over my dead body is that going to happen. Because the issue is about the protection of the gospel. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Verse 4, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, we're going to be talking about that more in the weeks. Folks, I just want to tell you, so many people look at the Christian life as like, that is just like so cumbersome. That is just like such a jail cell. <laughs> Here's the reality. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. A person without Christ starts at the place of being a bondage to slave, dead to God separated from God. And you were dead in your sins and your sins. Now, over here, separated from God, free to sin. Sin, sin, sin. Just have at it. But I'm telling you, as the scriptures say, you are in complete and utter bondage to sin. You're not choosing to sin. You are living sin. And to get out of that bondage reality... Jesus came and died on the cross and did for us what I could not do to get myself out of this. Complete inability to get myself out of this. And Jesus made available the message. And you throw out, the, as Jesus is throwing out the life raft, it's like, who wants to grab on? Oh, I want to receive Christ. And he pulls me over in grace, by grace through faith in Christ. And we're set free from that. And we're now God's child. Booyah! And here's the thing. Where over here, you can never live for Christ. You can't live for Christ over here. You're stuck in bondage to sin. Over here, redeemed in Christ, set free. Set free to do what? Set free to live for Christ. We'll be talking about that more in weeks to come. I want to tell you, I'm just getting so tired and sick of this idea that Christians are a bunch of boring, knuckle-headed, backroads, unequipped, ignorant, crutch-holding people. Set free to live for the king that we sang about earlier. So in this whole thing, this is a freedom in Christ Jesus so that you might bring us into, not bring us back into slavery. That's what they were doing. They're wanting to say, in essence, come back here. Verse five, 
To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. No way, Uh uh-uh, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Verse 6, and from those who see who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Paul's talking about the apostles here. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Paul's not smack talking. He's not going, they're a bunch of kind of geeks. It's not what Paul is doing. Paul is declaring himself, listen, I'm not validated by them. The Lord Jesus has validated me for this ministry here. And they're there, but I'm telling you, at the same time, we're part of a team. Uh, verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Verse 8, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the uncircumcised worked also through for me uh, to the Gentiles. Verse 9, and when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Okay. Acts 15. We're almost there. Acts 15. I just want to point something out. Verse 7. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. That's what we just talked about. Verse 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 11? Uh, factions come that we may know who's genuine. And Peter, way to go, dude, stands up and he declares, listen, it is about Christ alone. And he stands up, verse 12, and all the assembly fell, fell silent. What's silent sound like? Excellent. Okay, then we come down in verse 13, and James replies, and James then he says, goes on in verse 19, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, we don't make them a Jew before they become a Christian. They have straight access to the Lord just as we do. And look, verse 25 in Acts 15, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord. And then look, verse 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Hey, I want to tell you this. When God's people, when God's family deal with problems, God's way, unity happens. Here's, here's, what it, here's the result. They're up in Antioch. They come on down. They talk this through and they're like... <laughs> Goodness, can you get this? The messages are the same. It is about grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul, keep on ministering, brother. And he's like, yeah, you keep on ministering, brother. And they're like, yeah, God is big. We're a team. And the genuine ones stand up because of the division. And I want to tell you something. I am so glad for this period of time in history because at this time in history, this is one of those points of time in history where the gospel has been given, if you will, a stamp of this is the gospel. And I want to tell you, friends, we benefit from that to this day. Praise the Lord. When God's family addresses problems, his followers who are committed to him are shown to be the case. Oh, by the way, in the text, we doesn't say it, but we know it. What ends up happening? Those who are going to stick to the false gospel are also well known. And now out of this, the team is functioning, the Lord is glorified, and they're ministering as a team together 
for Christ, uniquely but on the same team. And they dealt with a problem. Let's just go to the last couple verses in Galatians chapter 2. Let's go back. Because there's one other problem that comes up just real quick. We've been talking about the, the, the validation, the clarification of the gospel itself, and that happening out of the, the, the situation that God's people are dealing with a problem God's kind of way. And look at verse 11. But when Cephas, when Peter came to Antioch, this is sometime later, Paul, I opposed him to his face. <laughs> like, what's the deal? Why? Because he stood condemned. Woo! We got like a relationship problem going on here. I thought they were all honky-huggy. Now we see them, Paul condemning Peter. What's going on? Let's keep reading. Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Okay? Got it? Here's Peter ministering to the Jews, to the circumcised. Now he's sitting, eating dinner with those uncircumcised Gentiles. And everything's going great. Because he had just said, I'm on that bandwagon a little bit ago. But look. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews, following along with their leader, if you will, acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas, Paul's partner in ministry, was led astray by their hypocrisy. You see what's going on? Earlier, they'd come together and said, yeah, they don't have to be circumcised. I mean, we are on the same team together. Yeah, and then they all of a sudden have a situation and Paul's sitting back and he's like, look at Peter, look at Peter. You're pulling yourself back. What we agreed on and what you said right at this moment, I love you enough to be able to say this, you're not living it out. Hey, listen, I want to tell you, it is hard to change past ways oftentimes. There's great hope in it. We can change, but yet oftentimes we have a tendency to go back down that same gravel road again that we've built the ruts in. And here Peter is found in the same thing. So what happens? Verse 14, but when I saw, when Paul saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he sent him an email. No, no, no. He texted, no, didn't do that. He just, he, he let love cover it. No, he couldn't let love cover this one. What did he do? He said to Cephas, he said to Peter, what does that mean, face to face? Peter, my brother in Christ, I think we have a problem. And I think you're sinning. And I love you, and I love the Lord enough that I'm going to come to you, brother, and I'm just going to ask, it looks like this is what's happening. Is this really what's happening? And they come before them all, and if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, Paul's telling him what he's seeing and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to be like Jews? And he confronts it. Here's where I want to leave us. The two things that we started out with this morning. Hey, this is what God's message is. I want for you to walk away today knowing, friends, this has been battled over for years and decades and centuries. And I want for us to know this is God's word. And we should be excited about it. And we should be in it. And we should be eating it up. This is God's word telling us about how we can have favor with him and live with him. And also, this tells us about how to resolve problems. God views life problems, the horizontal problems, very significantly. 
And I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you that right now in your life, if there's someone in your life that you're having struggles with, or there's someone in your life by Matthew would say that you believe that they are in sin right now, I want to, in love, encourage you to go to them. Listen, we're not talking about being the sin police. We're not talking about being Pharisees. But we are talking when a sovereign God has allowed us to be in a situation to where we're experiencing sin or we are sinning or we are seeing someone else in sin. We love them enough and we love the Lord enough to do the hard thing for the Lord and go and be reconciled and do all that you can to be at peace with all men for His glory. And may I say this, when we do that, that is a wonderful picture of the gospel itself. God came, confronted our sin problem, and in love called us to himself. And may we be ones who are doing the same. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for the gospel. I want to thank you that what we have on our laps, this book that we have, this English version of what is your words, Lord, it is good news. It is very, very good news. I want to thank you for the gospel. I want to thank you all the way back into Galatians chapter 2, Acts 15, where I believe at this time where all of this, uh, this if you will, battle for the gospel is taking place and, and it comes together to where it's clarified, it's verified, it's revealed, it's confirmed, and I thank you for that. And I pray that we would be people that rejoice in the confidence of the gospel that we would be people that protect the gospel, not mad about it, gospel police, but people who are aware of the gospel itself. Father, I pray that we would be men and women, boys and girls, teens that stand for the gospel. And that includes us at times having to do the hard thing of dealing with problems in life. I thank you I thank you I thank you that there are people here who are living this out for your glory for your good of you. In Christ's name we pray.